It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Kid Who Would Be King. Alex, you're going to be late. Okay, okay. Here. Thanks, Mom. A land is only as good as its leaders. Somebody help me! Hey, leave him alone. A true king is brave and noble. Don't be a hero. I'm the king around here. You have more battles yet to fight. But fast as you can go, we've got you now! Now, you must choose what you stand for. Berenice, you've got to see what I found. There's something written on the guard. Put it into Google Translate. It means Sword of Arthur. What if you're the only person who could have pulled that sword out? What if it's Excalibur? Ah, finally. Follow me. I am Merlin. I thought Merlin was supposed to be an old man. An ingenious disguise, don't you think? In four days, the dark sorcerer Morgana will take over the world. Awake, my warriors. And I'm supposed to stop her. That's ridiculous. There's your sword back, and good luck with everything. You're a king, Alexander. The sword chose you. Why would we help you? Because you're the strongest people I know. You're my knights, and this is the round table. Quick, Bettis, lift up the flaps. Oh my god, you're such a nerd. This is destiny. It's just like in every story we ever read. Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, something amazing happens. And they find out they're descended from magical families. Mum, don't freak out, okay? Who will join us? This is the best in the world. Thing that's ever happened. All hail the once and future king. Please don't. It's embarrassing. Why did you know how to drive? Mario Kart. Alright, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for the kid who would be king, and the story is as follows. Old school magic meets the modern world when young Alex stumbles upon the mythical sword Excalibur. He soon joins forces with a band of knights and the legendary wizard Merlin when the wicked enchantress Morgana threatens the future of mankind. The film is starring Louis Ashburn Circus, Tom Taylor, Rebecca Ferguson, and Patrick Stewart. It is written and directed by Joe Cornish. Joining me for this review, I have Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Hey, Katie, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this one with you today. I'm very excited, us two Americans, talking about what is a very British story. It is so British. <laughs> and also something, too, that's maybe a little outside of our realm as well, which is uh, a children's story. 
uh, a film that's clearly meant for uh, the entire family to enjoy, taking a bit of a, uh, a break, I guess you could say, from some more of the serious dramas and uh, a more award season uh, affair that we have been doing the last couple of weeks here. Right. And it, I'll tell you, it was very refreshing. I took my son to go see this. And while he played it cool in front of my critic friend who also happened to be there, uh, when we got in the car, he was all about it and said he really loved it. So that was a huge surprise. Well, the first thing I thought of right away while watching this was little kids don't get to enjoy Game of Thrones like some of us. And Lord of the Rings, I think, is uh, suitable at a certain age. But for most that, you know, maybe want to get into stuff that their parents are getting into and <laughs> why are my parents playing this uh, Dungeons and Dragons game they're always going on and on about? This is an opportunity for them to get maybe their uh, toes dipped into the uh, fantasy genre for the first time. Right. And it's a modern retelling and a modernization that I feel like does it well. There's a lot of these kinds of kids' movies, I'll tell you that much, and most of them are not good, to put it nicely. They're not good. And this one does what I think, if you've seen Attack the Block, uh, you know is that Joe Cornish allows children to be full children and full people in his movies. Like, they're good, they're bad, they're they're very authentic. And that's, I think, what this movie does absolutely the best, is mixing that fantasy world with current modern kids. You know, Joel Cornish, uh, he, as you mentioned, he directed Attack the Block in 2011. It's been eight years since that movie. And to your point, Katie, both films uh, feature children in the lead roles and they deal with these genre elements with attack the block that was very much a science fiction comedy horror i don't even know how you define what that movie was but it introduced us to john boyega at the time which was very very exciting for a lot of us here uh we're introduced to the fantasy genre through this cast of young actors uh, led by uh, louis ashburn circus as alex and you have him and you have uh, this other wonderful actor, I felt I thought in this movie, uh, Angus Emery. Oh, my God. I loved him. He was my favorite part of this whole movie. I haven't seen him in anything before, but he has like such a unique look and he brought such tremendous energy to the role of Merlin in this uh, that I was very, very impressed by him and how much he was able to take what on the surface could have been... Very cartoonish and very silly, but he inhibited it in such a way that I really, really bought into uh, where they took that story and that character here. Yes, so did I. Like, he, he, you haven't seen him because he hasn't been in much other than like British television, and I think he has one other film role. Um, so that he is a fairly new actor, and he made it. Like doing the hand motions that he does in this. Oh, the- that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I loved that. But if you try to do that, you just look very silly. But he makes it work and he sells it so much. And I mean, I didn't think that I, when Patrick Stewart is on the screen, I'm like, okay, that's cool and all, but let's go back. Let's go back to that other guy. Cause I love, you know, Sir Pat Stew. Who doesn't? You know what this really much reminded me of, actually? It reminded me so much of The Page Master. 
Oh, I loved that movie when I was a kid so, so much. Well, that's what I, right? That's what I mean in the sense that, you know, we have our movies from when we were around this age and the kinds of movies that blended um, fantasy uh, into the, you know, family film genre. And this is something here that does that pretty well. Like you said, it's a modern day retelling. So there's pop culture references to things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And it's grounded enough within the real world that it feels a little bit fresh, even though it is telling a story that we have commonly seen before of the rise of this hero who is a bit reluctant. And there's this emotional uh, story too in regards to his lineage to his father, who he doesn't know. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, he left him, like he left him and his mother when he was uh, very young, so he barely remembers him. And I thought that that provided the emotional thorough line here of this child who's relying on his father as a source of uh, strength when really the strength comes from himself and his friends around him. And, and of course, through his mother, too. I mean, I, I think it's just, as I'm talking through it here, I think it's really just the human connections and the relationships that are established in this movie uh, between Alex and the other characters that really, really helps to sell this. I agree. There was a point where I I, I hit this moment um, of realization of how good this is. And it's when Alex has gone to go and find his dad. And there's a revelation that's made. And it turns the film from being something that is, you know, a fairly, you know, it, it's a great, but still fairly on just a one level of storytelling and then this takes it and twists it into something that is has much more depth and has much more something that you know it it allows it to go a little dark and that is so Mm -hmm. i think for me necessary in a kid's movie like children need that in their in their media to be able to really relate to it especially at the age range that this is pushed towards because their lives are a little dark all kids even the ones with the best home lives still have complexities and issues and they need to see something like that reflected on screen so that they can learn how to deal with it and this movie does that so well you know they need to have that moment afterwards where they turn to you and they say mom what is what does it mean to have demons as they so put it in this movie uh with uh uh, with um i was gonna say elliot but uh alex elliot he's got two names uh first and the last name but in terms of his father and how his father, they say f- his father fights his own demons and he really thinks he's fighting mythical, ancient, evil demons. But really, we as adults here know that that's not what they're referring to when they say that in this movie. And you're right. I think it does open up at least when the movie's over. Um, if you bring your child to see this and they have questions and they want to from a curiosity standpoint, because we all know children are curious, they want to talk about some of the things in this movie that maybe they didn't quite understand. I think it's a good moral lesson to teach oneself. The whole movie is good, uh, is filled with good moral lessons, I think, here. I, th- I, don't, I don't detect a single moment in this film where its heart is not in the right place. Right. It threads a needle very, very difficult needle very carefully about that. It talks about growing up without it being, you know, romantic or puberty or any of that based. It talks about learning about the realities of the world and that moment where as adults, we all know what demons means immediately. 
immediately. But as a child, you have to learn that. And Alex learning that is the focal point of the story. That's what this movie is really about, is Alex learning about reality and how to live with both the reality of the world, but not give up on his hope and all of the things that childhood can really imbue within you. And I thought that that it handles that crux uh, so delicately and allows Alex to be mad about it. He doesn't have to overcome it. He has to be mad about it and learn how to deal with it and learn to process it. And that's where this movie excels is that it handles that appropriately and realistically and not in some kind of, for lack of a better term, fantastic way. And speaking of handling things in a fantastic way, for us adults here of that, I always say the best kind of family films are the ones that have meaning for children and children get their entertainment out of it. But there's something there for adults that only they will understand. And here, something I was not expecting with this movie, and it revealed itself very slowly as the film went on, the film is a commentary on Brexit. Oh, 100%. And I was floored by this. I was not expecting that at all in the film, but there was a huge amount of commentary on the distrust in leaders of today and the future of tomorrow and how the youth of today is where we should be uh, placing our trust and our resources for they're the ones that are the, uh, holding the gates to the, uh, you know, guarding the gates to the future. I mean, like, you know, it was a, it was definitely on the nose, but on the nose enough that it was like, Wow, I, I I just admire the fact that they weave this in because they didn't have to do that. But that's something for, you know, yes, I'm making a family film, but let me add in something for the adults to also get from this too so that not only do kids walk away with um, some lessons that need to be learned, but hopefully adults do as well. Right, and I think we can lay most of that at the feet of Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed this just like he wrote and directed Attack the Block. And um, if you are at all familiar with, uh, you know, London and its uh, attendant neighborhoods and the racial politics um, and the class politics that have been present in that area of England for generations and decades. There is so much going on in Attack the Block about that, about race and the cops and how these people are treated and poverty and all of this. And it was so refreshing to see that kind of skill in a family film, because Attack the Block is not really a family film; it's it's its own no. awesome thing. But <laughs> this is more so. <laughs> this is so good at it, and that it wrapped up Brexit, which is such a you know in England, it's a it's the thing. It's their Trump for Christ's sake. Like yeah. they have so much of their identity wrapped up in this, and to make a movie about that is at least has touches on Brexit, and then also have a big part of the movie be these two sets of kids having to learn to compromise and get along and to find the value in each other and to learn to value others and their relationships with others over themselves and their own wants and desires. Like You're talking about Lance, right? Yes. Lance and Kay versus um, Alex and uh, Betters. Well, so my issue there with this is, uh, I have to say, at first, I was... Very confused because all I saw this as was, okay, this is just your typical bully at school establishing his power and dominance over uh, Alex and 
there's really not much else to it. And I really thought it was boring. I thought it was bland. I thought at first that the guy that played Lance, Tom Taylor, I thought he was doing a terrible job at really just selling me on this role beyond this is just your typical bully. What the film does that you're you're touching upon there uh, that I was not expecting uh, because of how it first started off for me was they do slowly chip away at that relationship. And just when I thought that he had done a complete 180 and was a totally different person, there was then another um, development that was introduced within the story where it's like, nope, he's still that selfish guy who's looking out for himself and he doesn't actually care about Alex. And I was like, oh, Okay, like just when I thought that the screenplay, I thought I had it pegged down as to where it was going in regards to that relationship, it still found some new ways to uh, at least keep me thinking, oh, there's a, there's there's quite a bit of depth here in this relationship. It's not so cut and dry that these two are just going to naturally become friends. There's work that needs to be done in order to make that happen. And I found that to be uh, more interesting than the initial uh, introduction of the premise itself. Right. And I thought it was great that this movie doesn't allow anything to come easy to these kids. Like nothing comes easy because I remember I was like two hours, 12 minutes. Jesus, that's a long time for this kind of movie. And um, then I saw where they were spending that time on is those setups and reversals, those setups that are very typical and the usual way that these things play out in family friendly movies and particularly fantasy movies. And it does that multiple times. And especially with the end, the end, it's like, oh, okay. And I just thought, well, that was far too easy. There's no way. And I looked at my watch. I was like, oh no, we got another 20, 30 minutes here. What's going to happen? Right. Yeah. And it felt truncated. It felt like, wait a second, everybody didn't contribute to this. And this is a film that is pushing the idea that everybody needs to contribute in order for success to be had. It can't just be, the one hero, like the hero has to lead, but you need everyone to get this done. And then, you know, the final ending happens and it was so satisfying. It felt so uh, right for this story. I, I'm 100% with you on that. I watched that initial climax and I thought to myself, oh, well, that's pretty much how I expected it to go, but it feels too neat. It feels too wrapped up, like like with a shiny bow. Like it's just, it's too nice. And then, and then you're right. It's like the stakes then became higher. Uh, there was a grander message being told, which, once again, I really, really appreciated that subtext. And the ending that we got after that was so much more satisfying, especially even after the uh, initial conflict is over. Once again, returning back to that emotional thorough line of the story and having uh, the story conclude uh, between two people at the very, very end of the film. Uh, that's that's what sealed the deal for me. And I just I, I just thought to myself, like, with this and Bumblebee, like, we're getting great examples of family films done right these past two months. And I feel like this is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> and that there's probably not going to be many other family films this year that are going to have the same degree of complexity, ambition, and uh, just checking off all of the right boxes. Not checking off all of the boxes, just all of the right boxes. Right. This movie doesn't try to be everything for every family. 
it, it tries to be exactly what it is, and it knows what it's trying to tell and the story it's trying to tell, and it's unapologetic about telling that story. So this is what right. I have to offer you, and and that is so so great. I like it when films know what they're doing and have a sense of this is what we're doing, and we want you to know it, but we're not going to slap you in the face with it. And hey, we got Paddington two last year. If we get one yeah. really amazing family film a year, I will count that a win because some years there's just it's a dry desert and this year at least started off right that a january film was so great and you can recommend it you know pretty much to almost anyone and they'll probably dig it yeah yeah and i mean you know if there's little for them to dig in this i'll tell you one thing they'll probably dig no matter what and that's uh, the opportunity to see rebecca ferguson as this demonic seductive uh, evil sorceress, which <laughs> she's oh, like she's so completely hamming just, it up. Yeah, th- she is enjoying the hell out of it. Allah, like absolutely, you know. that totally comes across. Right in Thor Ragnarok, how? Uh, oh God, what's her name? No, Kate Blanchett. Escape. Yes, thank you. Kate Blanchett is like it was just delightful. I love to see stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I got such a kick out of seeing her on screen, especially even even with uh, all of the CGI elements and such. I, I still thought to myself that it was menacing in a way that wasn't too scary for kids, but also wasn't too hokey for adults where I just was like, I don't buy that, you know, but uh, she sold it pretty darn well and did exactly what was needed of her. And I have to say, like, if I if I was watching this, if I was like, I don't know, say nine years old. I'd I'd want to I'd want to go to the store and buy a sword right away and like you know I I'd, I'd be so about this movie I'd be running around with a crown and you know pretending I was a knight I mean oh I I oh, mean yes. listen you you know I love Game of Thrones and I, I'm I'm 29 years old you know <laughs> so <laughs> this is this is my shit just it wasn't made for me now um, it was definitely a film that probably was made for me when I was younger but I still find a lot to appreciate with this. Yes, I did too. And my son really enjoyed it, and all the kids in the audience just loved it. They were going wild for it, and afterwards I hear lots of lots of talking and excitement, and that's always the best in a kid's movie, when they just... But it wasn't loud. It wasn't, like, easily distracted. It was lots of gasping and, oh, Mommy, what's... Is he going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Definitely a few moments like that, for sure. Yeah, there was lots of engagement from the kids. Because there's a maturity to the storytelling, and you just don't know where Joe Cornish is going to take it. Like, how dark is it going to get? Is it going to push the envelope too much? Because there's a sophistication to the storytelling here where I, I there were more than a few moments where I thought to myself, like, oh, where where is he going to take this, you know? Yeah, and that's so rare. It's so rare in adult movies when you watch as many as you and I do. But kids' movies, it's almost unheard of. Like, I can think of a couple right. Laika films that I've had that experience with. But other than that, like, this is such a unique and enjoyable experience that, like I said, unless you're, you know, really not into swords and sorcery and have no taste for appreciating family films, then watch it. It's so entertaining. And I have to say, too, because this is a family film, and yes, there are, there are, in my opinion, even though it plays within the genre, there are still one or two, okay, who am I kidding, maybe like 12 moments where I thought to myself, oh, that's that's a little too cheesy for me. 
That's yes, a little much. Of course. You know? Of course. Although the chicken scene where Merlin discovers how he can eat, I was like, that was funny. I'm on board for this ridiculousness. But yes, and I did find it. I like that. That was good. If anything, you probably could have found a way to cut those 12 minutes by there were a couple of scenes of where it just kind of felt repetitive, like we're sending the same message over and over again. And I don't know that they were absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. I also, uh, you know, there's like, it's little things, but like, I don't understand what's the initial relationship between Lance and Kay. Like, are they a couple? Are they friends? If they are friends, why are they bullies together? Why is Lance more of a bully than her, it seems? Um, There was some like awkward stuff with that relationship initially that I was just... I wasn't really fully buying into it at first, like I said earlier, but luckily there's enough development throughout the film and it does uh, go through a change that I was able to forgive it a little bit. And then there's, you know, this moment at the end, which, by the way, the final scene of the film, the final climactic battle, if you will, is very, very well done uh, from a CGI standpoint, especially. And from a scale standpoint, that I was able to forgive the, (laughs) we're going to get every single kid in the school to do this fight, and we're going to get them trained, and it's only going to take two hours, and nobody's going to have a problem with this, and they're all going to say yes and want to do it because school is canceled. And I just was like, that's a little much for me to believe, but (laughs) once again, if I was nine, ten years old, I I, would have bought into it more then, you know? So I I get it. that's where you take it as this is a fantasy movie because good luck with all of that. But yes, that's yeah. kind of the part. And I just kept thinking, how many of these kids are going to die? This is going to be uh, yeah. a bloodbath. Like, and but the movie, of course, you know. Explore that. Yeah, because once again, you, you don't know if Joe Cornish is going to take it in that direction. Right, exactly. But I but think, they, keep it, they keep it light. Exactly. And I think that's the family-friendly nature. I think if it hadn't, you know, if this had been geared for maybe five years older, then we would have seen a little more of that. But because it's allowable that everybody can watch it, even, you know, a three- or four-year-old can watch it, and unless they're particularly sensitive, they'll probably be okay. Because, you know, the scary scenes are still pretty well lit and they don't last too long and the evil is quickly defeated. So I think it's it's enjoyable for everyone. And so I was okay with that. And I just tried to remind myself, well, it is a fantasy story. So the idea of getting hundreds of children to all do the same thing at once is definitely plausible in this universe, if not our own. (laughs) And like I, like we said before, I, I, I think what helped me along with letting stuff like that go was I could see what the bigger message was. I could see what the subtext was in terms of uh, getting all of these children together to fight a common enemy and what Cornish was ultimately trying to say about Brexit in that regard. And I, I really appreciated the messaging so much so that when we get to the end of the film and Patrick Stewart is kind of you know, telling the audience and the characters the moral message of the movie, <laughs> you know, right. like kind of just wrapping it all up. I was I, I still like said to myself, oh, I feel like I would normally roll my eyes at this sort of thing. But the storytelling has been very sharp. It hasn't really stumbled. And it's working within a genre that has so many pitfalls where I've seen countless times bad versions of not only the story, but this uh, genre, the family film genre, that 
I haven't sensed so much of that this time around. So you know what? I'm willing to forgive a lot with this. And just even in terms of my own personal preference, I'm able to forgive a lot. And in some cases, I, I even bumped up my grade on this one. I initially was a grade lower, but taken as a whole, I actually ended up bumping it up one one point in the end because I definitely think that there is a lot to get out of this. And speaking of getting a lot out of this, uh, we're at the point now where we're going to just give any final thoughts. Uh, Katie, do you have any final thoughts, anything that we didn't touch upon in regards to the kid who would be king? Yes. There was one thing I wanted to touch on was how great the production design was for this film. Like, there were points where I I could watch it and just see all of the different choices that they made and how they played with color and light and perspective and it all worked so well. Like in particular, I noticed that Merlin, when he is in his young form, he is very bright and colorful. And then when he's in his older form, um, everything is muted. He's wearing the exact same clothes, but it's all about four shades lighter. And he looks gray instead of, you know, this bright young thing that he is when he is played by Angus Emery. And so I just mm-hmm. have to give a shout out for how great the production design and the costumes and the sets all looked so good. Even though I'm sure this wasn't, you know, this sure wasn't a $500 million or $200 million budget or something. But they worked with what they had and they make it look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And... While it's not something that's going to, I think, stand out when we get to the end of 2019 for me, um, it was not distractingly bad in a sense that I would be, once again, like I said, willing to knock off any points or anything like that. I don't think it was stupendous, but I definitely think it was good enough that it was able to tell the story in the way that it needed to be told, and it di- it didn't distract me. So that's, that's always a plus. It just didn't distract me. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those where it's a great gift for little for the kids in your life from the yes. ages of about five to 13, 14. This is a fun movie that most kids will be able to enjoy. Absolutely. Uh, with that said, Katie, what grade would you give the kid who would be king? Um, I believe I would say this is a seven out of 10 for me. I'm fairly certain that's my that's my choice. Well, I'm right there with you. I, too, give this a seven out of 10. There's uh, a few things uh, holding me back a bit from a, a grade a little bit higher, but for everything that this film does get right and for how well I think it does work for both kids and adults, it gets a pretty solid recommendation uh, from me. I would definitely check it out both in the theater or at home, uh, whatever means you choose to seek it out by. But I definitely recommend seeking it out regardless. I think it's a very nice, nice movie and something that will certainly, and I hopefully... Uh, think will inspire uh, younger audiences, whether it's to ask questions, uh, pick up a sword, get into fantasy, or I don't know, ask uh, mommy and daddy, what's Brexit? You know, I don't know. Maybe they're already being told that uh, when they tuck in their children at night. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or read a book. If they read Le Mort d'Artour, then hey, they've they've succeeded in their quest with this. Exactly. Oh, quest. I like that. (laughs) <laughs> How should we end our quest? I think we should end it by telling everybody where they can find us on the internet. So, Katie, tell the great listeners out there where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Kid Who Would Be King here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback, and also we, we appreciate your support. If you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.